the last words of that song, that he should give his only son to make a wretch's treasure. And in Christ, you are anything but a wretch. You are called the sons of God. But before without Christ, I would agree, wretch, okay, for sure. But it's just a, it's an incredible thing that God loved us so much that he sent his only son to make us his treasure. It's just amazing. You just have to think about that. He didn't come to condemn the world, but he came to save us. Not to condemn us. Jesus never came to condemn us. You know, as you look at the, the gospel, if you look at all the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I've read the gospels dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of times. And uh, for a period of time, I was reading the gospels every 30 days, just rotating, reading the gospels every 30 days, going through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John every 30 days just going through them, going through them, because I wanted to know and see how Jesus interacted with people, because he's our, he's our model. And as we, as we look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and Acts, we can see the will of God in action, because every time you see Jesus interacting in any way, you can see the will of God in action. So how did Jesus interact with people that were that were downtrodden and beat up by society, he reached out a hand to him and he pulled him, pulled him up. How did Jesus react to a woman caught in the act of adultery? He didn't throw a stone at her. He said, go and sin no more and neither do I condemn you. How did he react to, a, to a, a, a man who was a thief and a traitor, basically, Zacchaeus? How did he react to him? He said, today I'm gonna come to your house, Zacchaeus and salvation came to his house. How did he react to the religious Pharisees who thought they were all it? He basically said, hey, you're a bunch of whitewashed sepulchers with dead men's bones inside. He, didn't, he wasn't real nice to them, but he was incredibly gracious to everyone else. And as you look at everywhere he went, Acts 10, 38 says, how God anointed empowered Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Why? For God was with him. For God was with him. So if we look at that, let's look at that again. Who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed were they oppressed by God? No, they were oppressed by the devil. Why? How did he do it? Because God was with him. Now, I got a question for you. Do you believe that God is with you? Do you believe that God is with you? He said he'd be with you, that he'd never leave you nor forsake you, so I'm just asking you if you believe the Bible. Do you believe that God is with you? Okay. If for God was with him, he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. So if God's with us, the same that God was with him, I think we can probably have the same kind of results if we, um, if we really think and delve into it and really think about it. We can have the same kind of results that Jesus had. 
Let's look at some more examples of what Jesus did and how he interacted with people. Matthew chapter 8. We're going to go through a lot of scriptures right away tonight. So just hang on. They'll be up there. Matthew chapter 8. It says, When Jesus came down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now that's a big question. Because I don't think anybody would argue that God is able to heal, right? God can do anything. Y'all believe that. Almost everybody believes that. Even unbelievers believe God can, but they're not sure he will. That guy, this guy had the same problem. He said, Lord, I know you can. He says, if you're willing, I know you can make me clean. The question is, are you willing? If you are willing... Jesus put out his hand, didn't say, just a minute, let me pray about it. He didn't say, well, how good have you been lately? He didn't say that either, right? Because that's somehow what we think. We think God's up there and saying, well, how good have you been? And let's check your record to see if you're going to get healed or not, right? That's not how Jesus reacted. He had an immediate reaction, and he said, I am willing, be cleansed, and it manifested, and he was healed. Matthew chapter 8 again. Now, Jesus was really busy in Matthew chapter 8. Here he goes, Matthew chapter 8, verse 14. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw, he saw his, wife, his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. So his mother-in-law was sick with a fever, So Jesus came, touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and she served them. So Jesus comes to Peter's house. His wife's mom's on the couch. She's got a migraine, right? He walks up to her. Bam, she's healed. Okay, that's how he dealt with sickness. Matthew chapter 8 again, 16 and 17. When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all. All, say that word with me, all, all, all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Isaiah the prophet, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Matthew chapter 9, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, this is when they ripped the roof open and they brought him down through the roof. He said, son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven. And once the scribes said, All this man blasphemes. And Jesus knew their hearts. He said, why do you think evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on the earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Then the multitudes saw it. They marveled and glorified God, who had given such power to men. Now, Today, in today's culture, at least in the church culture, nobody doubts that God has the power to forgive sins, but they wonder if healing's real. Back then, he, he didn't, he didn't, they didn't think that he could say your sins are forgiven, so he says that you might know that, that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins. I'm going I'm to prove it to you by healing the guy, and he says, arise and walk. So he, the power of God manifested in this man made a lame man walk. It's a big deal, okay? That's a big deal. You might think, oh, that's no big deal. No, that's a big deal. He made a lame guy walk, healed him. Just to prove a point, 
Number one, because he loved them. But number two, because he wanted to prove that he had the authority to forgive sins. Then you go on, Matthew chapter 9. Like I said, Jesus was really busy right now. He spoke these things, and behold, a ruler came and worshipped him. And he said, my daughter has, has died. Come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. Jesus arose and followed him. Now, there again, you look at this, and, and you think about yourself. Put yourself in this situation. Maybe you don't read your Bible like this. That's how I read my Bible. I think about this, and I go, wow, this guy... Who's a ruler? He's a kind of a big deal, right? He's like a magistrate. He's like a senator, maybe a mayor. I don't know what we'd compare him to in our culture. But he's, a, he's, he's kind of a big deal. And he comes and he says, hey, my daughter is sick unto death. Uh, one translation says sick unto death. Another translation says she's already died. Doesn't matter. She's close either way. Jesus is not intimidated. He didn't say, oh, man. I don't know, I better go fast for three days. You know, he, didn't, he didn't say, oh, oh that's, that's a tough one. I don't know if I'll be able to help you. No, he says, okay, I'll come. So he immediately goes with the man to go see his daughter. Suddenly, while he's on the way, a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched his garment. For she said in herself, to herself, if I only touch his garment, I shall be made well. Jesus turned around and when he saw her, he said, be of good cheer, daughter, your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that very same hour. So while he's on his way to heal the ruler's daughter, to raise her from the dead, he gets touched by this woman, power leaves him, heals the woman with the issue of blood. That's like, okay, he's on his way, he's getting mobbed by all these people, and he still takes the time for the one to heal the woman with the issue of blood. Then he comes to the ruler's house. They're in there. They're making a big deal. They're all wailing and moaning and uh, crying for the girl because she's dead. And he says, make, Jesus said to them, make room for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. They laughed at him. When the crowd was put outside, he put them all outside. He just made them all leave. He went inside, took her by the hand, and he said, little girl, arise and he raised the little girl from the dead. I'm trying to, I'm going through, the, through these very quickly to make a point. The gospel is miraculous. Jesus went about doing miracles. He, he suspended natural laws and healed people by the power of the Holy Spirit upon him. Now, you might say, well, yeah, but he was God. But every miracle that Jesus did on the earth, he did as the Son of Man, which means a man empowered by the Spirit of God. That's how Jesus did all the miracles while he was on the earth. It says he put off his God nature, and he was a fully a man without sin, empowered by the Holy Spirit. He did all those miracles in that way. So in that same way, you and me are humans empowered by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said in John 14, 12, the same works that I do, you shall do, and greater works shall you do, for I go to the Father. So I'm trying to rattle you all just a little bit and just see that Jesus did all these things and he was all man in all God, but he did them all as a man empowered by the Spirit of God, and you are a human 
And you can be empowered by the Spirit of God and have the works of Jesus in your life too. You don't have to be, oh, but that was Jesus. No, that was Jesus, but he was your example person. He was all human, just like you, but without sin. He took off his God nature and left it, and he became a man. And he did all these miracles as a man empowered by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God came on him when he got baptized. Remember in Matthew chapter 3, the, the Spirit came on him like a dove. There was a voice from heaven said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Right? Remember that all? Matthew chapter 3. Read it if you don't remember it. And that's when he began to do miraculous things. Prior to that, he was not in his crib or he was not in his kiddie pool you know, doing miracles when he was three years old. Because he was just a person. No, he was really wise. He sat and answered questions in the temple. He was super smart, I'm sure of it, because he didn't have any sin clouding up his life. But he didn't do the miraculous until he began his ministry. And that was when the Holy Spirit came on him. And the reason for that is, it's an example for all of us, that if he did it, we can do it. Because we are little Christs or Christians. We got the same Holy Spirit in us that he had. Romans 8.11 says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and quickens your mortal body. Romans 8.11, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. You just meditate on that. Think about that for a while. The same spirit, the same one, the very same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you. I mean, that ought to make us all go, wow. Because that's amazing that the same Holy Spirit, this is not some, we don't have Holy Ghost light, okay? We don't have like a trial version. You know, you get those things on the internet, they're trial versions, they work for about five minutes and they say, oh yeah, now you gotta pay $19.95 to get the real deal. No, we got the real deal. We got the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead and that's who dwells in us, that same spirit. And it quickens our mortal body. Then he went on, Matthew chapter nine. Jesus departed from there and two blind men followed him and said, son of David, have mercy on us. He came, when he had come to the house, the blind men came to him and Jesus said, do you believe I'm able to do this? They said, yes, Lord. So he touched their eyes. He said, according to your, to your faith, according to your faith, be it unto you. According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened. And their eyes were opened. Wow. Then you look Matthew chapter, boy, this is like every three verses, Matthew chapter nine. You wanna build your faith, just read Matthew eight and nine. It's this miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. Matthew chapter nine. Then they went out and behold, they brought to him a man who was mute, which means he couldn't speak. He was demon possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke and the multitudes marveled and said, it's never been like this before. They said, we ain't never seen this one before. I said, this is strange. 
Then you look, Matthew 9, 35, a couple verses later. He went about to all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. So what was his pattern? He went about to all the, all the villages and cities. He taught, he preached to the kingdom, and he healed every sickness and disease. So he taught, he preached, and he healed. He taught, he preached, and he healed. So there's a pattern there. We need to teach, we need to preach, and heal. If you want to be like Jesus, teach, preach, and heal. Teach the principles of the kingdom, preach the gospel of the kingdom, and heal people. That's what he wants us to do, because that's what he did. Now, let's keep, keep going. Matthew chapter 12, there was a man with a withered hand. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They did this that they might accuse him. And he said to them, what man is there among you that has a sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take it out? How much more value is then is this man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And when he stretched it out, it was restored as whole as the other hand. So this guy had this hand that was probably turned in or something, you know, that wasn't, it said it was withered, which it's probably something, it was either arthritic or some kind of um, uh, malady in his hand. And when he stretched it out, it went, and it came right back to full use when he stretched it out because Jesus told him to stretch it out. I mean, it, when, you, when you really think about and you meditate on these things, don't read the Bible like it's Aesop's fables because it's not, okay? Don't read the Bible like it's a storybook because it's not. It really happened. This is real stuff. It really happened. It says, then, then Matthew chapter 12, again, verse 22. One, one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and Jesus healed him, so the blind and mute both saw, spoke and saw. This guy couldn't see and he couldn't talk. So they bring him to Jesus. Jesus touches him. It doesn't say what he did. Uh, if he just talked to him, if he laid hands on him, if he spit in the ground and put mud in his eye, you don't know what he did on this particular case. Luke chapter 7. The disciples reported to him concerning all things. And John called two of his disciples to him and sent them to Jesus. And they said, are you the coming one or do we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, talking to Jesus. Are you the coming one or do we look for another? And that very hour he cured many infirmities, afflictions, evil spirits, and many blind he gave sight. That's some pretty crazy cool stuff going on there. And Jesus answered and said, go tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Hold it. What does that have to do with all the rest of these scriptures I'm just reading? It says, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. See, there's a couple things that are real prevalent in our, in, in our society, and they can block or hinder the miraculous in our lives. Disappointment is probably the number one thing that hinders people's ability to receive 
the miraculous in their lives. And here's what, this is a, a typical example. You got somebody in your life that you love and, and you pray for them and that person doesn't get healed and they die. It's a, it's a reality, it's happened to me. My own father died, I get it. Okay, I've, I've been through it. Okay, my brother died, my other brother died, my dad died. Okay, I've had lots of heartache in my life. Lots of failures, okay? But that doesn't mean that God's word isn't true because nowhere in scripture does it say that you are to consult your experiences to see whether God's word is true or not. Amen. Nowhere in scripture does it say. There's nothing that says, I need to say, well, you know, in first experience 2.8, it says, no. No, you're, my experience and I'm, not, and I'm not joking about this, although that was a little bit of a joke. Um, it's not funny. I mean, my dad died. That's not funny at all. He died when I was 35. It stinks. I miss him to this day. Okay? My brother died. That stinks too. Okay? Both of them died of things that, that other people that I've been around have been healed of. But why in the world did my dad die and my brother die? And I, had, and I had a baby that died too. I mean, come on, God. I'm, I'm working for you here. Can't you give a brother some help? You know, I had that conversation with God. Anybody ever tried that? Doesn't work. Um, it doesn't work. Because that's not, how you get, that's not how you get to the results that Jesus got. Because saying, well, God, I'm working for you. Oh, God, I, I gave up everything to go work at the church for you. That, God's not impressed by that. That's not how you get there. You get there by believing God's word. Okay? Now, whether I ever receive a miraculous manifestation or not does not have a bearing on whether God's word is true. God's word is true regardless of my experience with it. That's where you have to start. Now, does that mean that we shouldn't ever just go after it and trust God? Oh, absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you can't base your totality of your belief in God based just solely upon your experiences. We've got to look to God's word and we've got to say God's word is true. Let's start there. God's word is truth. And if God's word is truth, then I can have something to base my life on. Now, since there's so, there are so many moving parts when it comes to people trusting God and receiving the miraculous when they've been given a really bad report, whether it's cancer or whether it's hepatitis C or whatever it is. Um, those are the things that my, my dad and my brother died of. There's so many moving parts and there's so many things that affect it that you, you can't really get your mind around it. All you can do is trust God. If it's for yourself, you can grab a hold of the word. You can believe for yourself. But when you have someone else's will involved, you do what you can. You teach as much as you can. You help them every way you can. But sooner or later, they have to grab a hold of it too because of the 25 individual things that Jesus ministered to, 
in the Gospels, there's 25 individuals that Jesus directly ministered to. Of the 25 of them, 19 of the 25, he said to them, be it unto you as you have believed, or some version of that. Like, are you trusting me for this? Do you believe I can do this for you? And they say, yes. He says, okay. Based on what you're believing, here you go. And they got it. So that's the thing you can't control if it's not you. Now, if it's you, you can control that. But it, or if it's one of your children that you have authority over, you can control that. But you can't control it for other people. They are all free moral agents. What you can do is you can teach, you can preach, and you can pray for them, and you can believe God, but you can't control the outcome. You can't own the outcome of what happens next. After my, after my brother died in 2000, that was you know, 18 years ago already, after my, my brother died, I was, I mean, I had to teach a healing class like a week later. If you think I wanted to teach that healing class, you are mistaken. I wanted to quit because my brother just died. I stuck him in the ground, man. That's a big deal. I mean, that's, it's just a big deal. And now I'm talking about it with a straight face, but trust me, it was terrible. And God just really ministered to me. He said, if the manifestation had come and he had walked out of that hospital, would you have said, look what I did? And I said, absolutely not. He said, well, then you can't take the blame either. If you can't take the credit, or if you wouldn't take the credit, you can't take the blame. You do everything you know to do in these situations. You teach, you preach, you share, you believe, you confess, you do everything you know to do, but the outcome of it all, really, you have to rest, you have to leave it in God's hands because you can't control other people's will. Now, if it's for you, if you're the one, I'd say you can because you can control your own will and you can grab a hold of it and you can say, I'm gonna live and not die and I'm gonna declare the works of the Lord. Okay, I'm walking with a family right now, I won't get into all the details, but I tell you what, their son, Four or five times in the last 18 days, by all medical knowledge, should have died, but he's still alive today. Because they are, because he's under their care, they can stand on the word. We're texting and talking and going to, Pastor Dwayne went up there today and prayed with him. Again, he's been up there numerous times, driving three hours to get there, because it's important. And we're ministering to him and praying with him. And there's hundreds and hundreds of people praying and agreeing specifically for these things. And God is continuing to do miracle after miracle after miracle in this young man's life. So it's real. This stuff is real. You can't, you can't decide, well, I'm never going to try anything again because that person died. You can't go there, okay? Because you just can't give up because there's nothing, there's nothing if you just give up. You're just giving up then. You got to keep trying. And if, if things don't go the way, you're, the way you're supposed to, Jesus said, blessed are those that aren't offended in me. Many times people get offended when something doesn't happen. Their, their aunt died, their mother died, their dad died. Something you know, like I had in my life, I had you know, people that I loved died, people that I was praying for, they died. And they just say, well, I ain't, it's just, this whole thing is garbage. I'm never gonna do this again. It, God doesn't heal, it doesn't work. You know, that's what you hear a lot. But you know what? That's no way to live. 
Let's believe God. I mean, the Bible is true. Let's grab a hold of it. And here's the reality. This is what I came to with, with my dad, because that was the one that would, my dad and my brother both were just, they're terrible. So here's what I came to, though. I did everything I knew to do. I fasted. I prayed. I had my brothers and sisters fast and pray. And in the middle of it all, we had a lot of our relationships and our family were all restored through all the process. And it was a long, arduous, very difficult process. But when it was all said and done, we did everything we knew to do. My dad decided at 76, I'm satisfied. I want to go to heaven. And you aren't going to stop it when somebody says, I'm satisfied. I'm okay. I want to go to heaven. So he died. Now, it stinks because my kids never got to see him. He, never, he was a great guy. He was a godly man. I loved him dearly. And my kids missed out because he was, would have been one funny, fun grandpa. But my, my kids never got to know him because he decided he wanted to go. He was in a lot of pain, and he just decided he wanted to go to heaven. So he decided. So you can't be mad at him. You can't decide, hey, I'm never going to trust God again. I'm never going to believe God you can't do that because if you do, what kind of life is that? You, 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 the Bible's true, and you got to get to the point where you say the Bible is true. So what blocks people's ability to believe the miraculous? Most often, it's disappointment. It's somebody, something happened, and they said, I'm never going to trust God again. Once bitten, twice careful. You know, it says, you know, there's this old saying that a, a cat will never sit on a hot stove twice, and a cat will never sit on a cold stove either. Um, because you, you fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice, shame, or shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. They're, they get that attitude, and they say, well, you know, you can't trust God, because they decide that God is not personal, that he's not involved, and he's not powerful and he doesn't care. And that's what that disappointment breeds. And I would, I would position and I would just say to you today, God is personal. He does care. He wants to be involved in your life. He wants to help you. And you can trust him. You say, well, what about your dad and your brother? They're both in heaven. Hey, they're doing good. They're doing good. And you can't take the, you can't take the, the blame for that. And you can't um, decide that you're never going to believe the Bible just because something happened that didn't turn out the way you thought it was going to. Like when Jesus was talking to John the Baptist. You know, John the Baptist was looking at getting, he was in prison when he sent those two people to Jesus. You realize that, right? When he, when he said, are you the one or should I look for another? Because, you know, this isn't turning out the way I thought it was going to. That's what John was saying. John was in prison he was the one that baptized Jesus. He was there when the Spirit came on Jesus and the voice came from heaven and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And then John, because he was in prison, says, are you the one? Come on, John. You know he's the one. You heard the voice. You were there, right? But things aren't going the way I thought they were going to go. And I just want to make sure before they kill me, that you're really the one. And Jesus said, hey, the lame, they walk. The blind, they see. The dead are raised. The gospel have the, the, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed are they that aren't offended in me. He's saying, John, chill out. It's okay. 
I'm the man. And the, the, Paul had a, a similar experience. If you remember, Acts chapter 16, he had a vision of a man in Macedonia. Y'all remember that? The Macedonian call. Paul was on his way and he kept trying to go places and he was being hindered. And then he gets this dream and he sees this guy in the middle of the night. And, and he says, this guy from Macedonia, and he's saying, Come over and help us. So the next day they go to Macedonia. They get to Macedonia. They meet Lydia, the seller of purple. They're doing all this. They're having great, great time. They're getting people saved. And all of a sudden the people get mad and they throw them in jail, beat the tar out of them, stick them in prison, in the inner prison between guards. And their backs are bleeding. It's midnight, right? And right about then, all of us would be saying... <clears throat> Jesus, you told me to come here and now my, black, my back is beaten and I'm in jail. What gives, right? I don't know about you, but that's what I'd be saying. You called me here with a supernatural vision and here I sit. <laughs> my back is bleeding, they beat me up, I'm in jail and you sent me here. What is the deal, right? That's what I probably would say in my natural self. But instead, they're singing and praising God at midnight with their backs bleeding and their feet and hands in these things they call stocks, which just basically made you immobile. And they're singing and praising God. And then God sends an earthquake, causes the jail to get open, all the cells spring open. The jailer comes walking in. He's about to kill himself. And Paul says, ho, 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 hold on. We're still here. The jailer is just dumbfounded, doesn't know what to do. He says, what must I do to be saved? The jailer gets saved. The very same night, they clean up. They, they set Paul and Silas free. They get them, um, get them uh, washed them up. And then they baptize the, the jailer and his whole family because his whole family gets saved. Now, why do I say all that? God sends you places. Things happen, like John the Baptist. And we look at, and we want the miraculous to happen immediately. But sometimes there's a, a, a holdover. Sometimes there's a wait. Sometimes things don't turn out exactly the way we thought they were going to turn out. Like when Paul was in Macedonia, and he thought he was being sent there. He's going to have this citywide revival. Instead, he's in jail, beat up. And he's going, what gives? But instead, he wins the jailer to the Lord, his whole family, and they have revival in the jail because that was God's plan. See, God's plan doesn't always fit the same timetable as our plan. That's, that's, the, that's the thing there. And what we've got to do is we've got to realize that blessed are they that are not offended in the interim. Like, in the interim there, Paul could have been offended and he would have never got to winning the jailer to the Lord, right? You, you all get that, right? But he wasn't offended. He, he simply stood on the word and he decided he was going to believe God sent him there in, in, in the midst of a lot of trial and a lot of heartache. See, there's some most non-biblical doctrines are born out of this disappointment thing. It didn't work 
So the new doctrine says God no longer heals because, well, we've had all these things happen and it didn't work, so our new doctrine is God doesn't heal. A baby dies, so you come up with this, uh, this thing that says, well, God needed another angel in heaven. Now, number one, God doesn't turn humans into angels, so that doesn't fly. And God didn't need, if God needed another angel, he'd make one. He doesn't need to take your baby away from you. So that, that might help for a while, but it builds a, a really, um, it puts a distance between us and God when those doctrines, when we believe those things. See, God does not kill babies because he needs more babies in heaven. That, that's not what happened. We lost one. So, I mean, anybody who says, how could you dare talk about that? I have one in heaven. I actually, for the, for, for the, if you care, I actually, God gave me a dream and I saw her in heaven one day. It was really actually incredibly cool, it healed my heart. I could talk about it without crying now because God gave me an actual vision of my father, my grandmother, and my daughter, and, she's, and she was in heaven. It was just amer- it was amazing. I can't even describe it, how amazing it was. But it totally healed my heart when I saw it. I was like, whoa. Way before this movie, The Shack, came out, and the same thing happened, you know. Mine was like 18 years ago, right after, shortly after my brother died. Um, God blessed me with that, with that open vision one night. So, I've got one in heaven. She's 22. She's in heaven. She's growing up. She's beautiful. I I can't wait to see her whenever we get to heaven. It'll be awesome. But see, that's the reality that we have and the supernatural that God has for us will be hindered if we allow disappointment to put a cap on what God wants to do in your life. See, we've got, to, we've, got to, we've got to walk away from that disappointment. We've got to say, God, I trust you. My heart is hurt. This hurts like crazy, but God, I still trust you. We've got to get to the point where we say, God, I believe that you love me. God, I believe you're good. God, I believe you're personal and that you love me personally. And you're not a distant, angry person, but you're, but you're near and you're personal and you love me and that you have good for me, and that you're a rewarder of those who seek you. I believe, God, that you're good. But see, disappointment and the enemy's always there to accuse, and he's always there to say God's not good. He's always there to say God doesn't have good plans for you. But here's the reality is we've got to go to the word, and we've got to realize God is good, and that he loves you, and that he has a great plan for you. He understands your disappointment, but we don't want to allow that disappointment to turn into bitterness. Because disappointment, disappointment not dealt with effectively will eventually turn into bitterness in your, in your soul toward God. It'll eventually, it'll eventually just rot if you, if you allow it to sit there. What we've got to do is we've got to bring our disappointment to God and we've got to say, God, this really hurt. God, this really didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. God, help me understand this. And I'll, I'll never forget the day. I remember the day. My dad died on a, on a Saturday and Pastor Dwayne came over on a Sunday afternoon between services. He came over to my house and he, he looked at me and he said, I'm so sorry about your dad. And he said this verse to me. 
Never forget it. He said, Deuteronomy 29, 29, and it says, the secret things, they belong to the Lord. You have to just trust him when you don't understand what's going on in your life. We've got to believe that he's good. We've got to believe that he's personal, that he loves us. And we've got to trust him with the things that we don't understand. Because if you think you're going to understand every single aspect of every single part of every single day of every single minute of your life, you're mistaken. We, we, we aren't going to understand everything. It's just not possible. So we've got to trust God. The secret things, they belong to the Lord. And we've got to trust him with those things that we don't understand. The things that don't make sense, the things that you just kind of go, what is up with that? We've got to say, God, I trust you. I don't understand it. I don't like it. It really stinks. But God, I still trust you. Because God, I believe you love me. And I believe that it's all going to work out long term. And God, I still love you and I trust you today. That's where we've got to get to. I trust you even if I don't understand and it makes no sense to my mind, I still trust you. Because that is the only way to really maintain long term. That's the only way to stay in this, in this long for life is to just say, God, I trust you. I don't understand. And over time, you'll understand, potentially. But today, you may not understand because you just don't. But we're gonna trust him that over time, further along, we'll, we'll know all about it. <laughs> further along, we'll understand why. The old song, right? And when we get to heaven, we'll know all things. And we'll, we'll have them all figured out. I, I, you know, when people tell me, oh, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a few questions to ask Jesus about what happened. I said, I always answer, I said, no, you won't. You won't have any questions because when you get to heaven, you'll know it all. You'll know. You won't have to ask any questions. And you won't be angry at Jesus. I can guarantee you that. Um, you'll fall down and worship him, but you won't be angry at him because you'll realize, oh, man, you really did die for me. Wow. Right? But we've got to trust him today. So let's, let's bow our heads. If that's you, and you, I'm not going to have you come forward or anything like that, but I just, I just really feel like today you can just, you can literally just say to God, God, I'm disappointed. God, this stinks. What happened right here, it just doesn't seem right. It doesn't make sense. I don't, I hate it, and it doesn't make any sense to me at all, but God, I trust you. I trust you anyway. And it's the decision that you make. And honestly, it's the decision that needs to be made in the middle of a heartbreaking situation that some of you may be in today. That you're in a heartbreaking situation it's, and it doesn't make any sense and, and, it's, and it's bad. But in the middle of it all, if we can just say, God, I trust you, even when it doesn't make sense, God, I trust you. You know what? God can make sense out of chaos if we allow him the opportunity to have input into our chaos. He can make sense out of it if we let him.
And with every eye closed, just honor the, the privacy of one another, if you would, please. If that's, if that's you and you say, if you say, that's me, I need to make that declaration today. I'm going to lead us all in a declaration. But if that's you, just acknowledge it. I think there's, there's power in acknowledgement. They're not acknowledging it to me or acknowledging it to God. If that's you and you say, you know, that's me, I need to just say, Jesus, I need you in the middle of my mess. I trust you. Just lift up a hand right now. Just lift it up and put it right back down. Okay, you can lift them up and put them right back down. Thank you, all over. God sees a hand, and that's, that's important that we just make an acknowledgement and say yes. Now, I'm just going to lead us in a quick prayer. I just want us all to pray this prayer, if we would, please. Say, Heavenly Father, all together, everybody, even if you didn't raise your hand, just let's say this prayer together. Heavenly Father, I believe you're good, and I believe you love me. I believe you have a great plan for my life. Right now, things don't look so good. But I ask you to give me grace to trust you. And I declare as an act of my will, I trust you, Lord. I refuse offense. And I thank you for your grace today and your mercy. Thank you that you love me. I ask you to fill me with your grace and your love. Empower me to see beyond the present to the end. In Jesus' name. Now let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that you just watch over our hearts and you know every situation that is, exists in this room. You know every challenge, every heartache. You know every, every circumstance. And we ask, Father, that you would bring light, that you would bring understanding, that you would bring peace and that your grace would just envelop and that your shalom peace would surround every single person. As we walk out of this place, we thank you for your Jehovah Shalom presence. And even as Jesus went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil for you, because God was with him, we thank you, Lord, that you are with each one of us. God is with us. He's with us today. And that the Holy Spirit's upon us and God is with us wherever we go. That wherever we go tomorrow, that you go before us and you make a way where there is no way. That you make crooked places straight. You cause even our enemies to live at peace with us today. That you give us grace and peace and fulfillment in our daily activities. In Jesus' name, amen.